So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey, so welcome back to the podcast. Today I've got a special co-host, Ellie Cole, in the house. What's up, Ellie? Hi, I'm happy to be here. Yes. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. Said with the tonality that was going up, it makes me a little bit nervous, but we'll get to I'm that later. <laughs> All right, there we go. So today we have another fantastic guest referred by a friend of mine, Michael, uh, who is the president and CEO of Alder, this extraordinary network of incredible human beings. Brian Ferguson, former Navy SEAL, entrepreneur, specifically a company called Arena Labs. You might want to write that one down. Pioneering the field of high-performance medicine. Before we even get into this, what was super intriguing just being on your website was you're, from my understanding, he's trying to help people that are in some of the most stressful environments on the planet be effective. Mm -hmm. Now, our client, for the person listening right now, you know what you do is pretty darn stressful as well. So with that said, welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks so much for being here, man. Right on, Tom. I appreciate it, Ellie. I'm glad I can be on your first co-host here. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's really the Ellie you call show now. It's official. All right. So, so Brian, can you just help us understand, unpack what does Arena Labs do? Like I was reading the website, I, I got an, a sense of it, but I felt like there's a lot of passion behind this. Unpack that for us. Yeah. And you're, you're probably reading in well, Tom, this sort of the, um, what is, what is continuing us uh, evolving around our narrative to be more focused. So what I mean by that, we started the company in 2017. We talk about high performance medicine uh, at, at a basic level. You think of pre-pandemic. Um, so this is before COVID. People on the front lines of healthcare have some of the most demanding, high consequence, high risk work <clears throat> that we don't often think of as such. So we think about that for people who are in special operations, the military, an elite sport, the creative arts who have to perform under pressure. But in frontline medicine, we, we in, in clinicians themselves don't think of them that themselves that way. But what we we focus unequivocally on helping doctors and nurses understand how to manage stress, be more self-aware and rest and regenerate more effectively. And there are very specific tools, again, that are used in these other professions that we bring in from the field of what's called performance science or human factors that help people manage their nervous system, manage stress. So that not only can they be more focused, but rest and recover more smartly. Um, we started as a services business. And so very much for, for many of your listeners, I know that we sort of have folks who are listening through the, the, the lens of, of you know, real estate as agents and those who are on the SaaS side. And we have evolved into a technology platform that is now downloadable. So a frontline nurse or doctor can get can a get on and get access to these tools, but B, then we aggregate those for hospital systems. So they have an understanding of their human capital at scale as it relates to sleep, stress, self-awareness, and actually get upstream of burnout. And as, as many of your listeners, and I think anyone who is a citizen of the world, not just America today knows that the last two years have taken a very heavy toll on doctors and nurses. And we are now seeing that toll play out in turnover, retention issues, um, and not to be melodramatic, but that's becoming a real crisis uh, in, in parts of the country that, that, you know, in terms of access to healthcare. So that's our, our, our goal is focusing on the service archetype of those who take care of us. I love it. I love it. And as a Navy SEAL, I've got assumptions on where this passion yeah. came from, but I'm curious, like why this versus 
five or 10 other things you could have done? Mm-hmm. Part of it is, is unequivocally my own story. I think all, all entrepreneurs back into uh, some degree, of course, of their own passion, but then seeing a need. And for me, that started, I grew up in, in healthcare. My mom was a nurse. And I often tell the story, you know, you, your listeners can appreciate, you know, we define service archetypes in our lives as those who are in some way stewarding society through a public service. And you think about healthcare, education, domestic law enforcement, military, all of those archetypes are people who will give of themselves and give of themselves until there's nothing left to give against the better angels that are nature, unless they have leaders and infrastructure in place to help them understand how to manage their own energy levels. And so growing up, I saw my mom, she was not a melodramatic, you know, um, or, or, or emotionally dramatic person, but, but when she lost a patient or something went wrong in the OR, I could viscerally feel that because she cared so much. Fast forward, I did have the privilege of serving in the military and special operations. And one of the first things you learn is how to manage your own anxiety or fear in order to focus in increasingly consequential environments. I happened to be in the military during a time of real enlightenment. So we were, you know, there were two wars going on. We were making massive investments and helping people understand things like the role of sleep and cognitive function, how to ensure the body is as well rested as possible, even in suboptimal environments. So as it turns out, that, that entire environment is very much analogous to modern healthcare. Uh, healthcare has just never delivered those tools. So um, I stumbled into it, to be honest, and, and I feel really fortunate this season of life to be able to do work in, in healthcare. It's beautiful. Awesome. Thank you. Let's, yeah. I think we were right to that question. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, thank you for walking us through that. Uh, what's the key to, in your opinion, optimizing human potential in the 21st century? So I, I think this is like a, a question we all probably spend our lives grappling with. And I don't know that anyone has a singular answer. I think where, you know, it really becomes um, the, 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 the sort of secret is that, it, that it's highly individual and what works for you is going to be different than me. And, but I do think that there's never been a better time to be alive because modern technology is allowing us to understand the human mind and body and emotional landscape in a a way we never did. And so introspection and self-awareness through things like wearable sensors and monitoring our own health are allow us to get a better understanding of where we are versus where we want to be. And I define human potential as the arc of who we have the capacity to be over the course of our lives. Human performance is what we do day in and day out. And I think all of us are after, you know, and and this is not just about the futility of, you know, a a cycle of doing more to do more. It's how do we do the things in our life that we say matter so that we can flourish. And performance are the rituals and behaviors that we put into practice daily, weekly, yearly that become that our potential. And I know it's very much, you know, a lot, Tom, of your work of, of helping people understand their capacity uh, in real estate to be impactful, but but I think it always comes down to what do we value and how do we put in place actions that allow us to, to do what we value and be present while doing it. So I'd love for you to unpack, you mentioned it's it's all personal, right? Yeah. So so even though Ellie and I are born on the same exact day, yeah. about 30 years <laughs> apart. Fun fact. Uh, you know, I'm very different biologically than she is, right? Beyond just male, female. So, so how do you get to know, you mentioned like wearables, like, you know, I was early at Abundance 360 and got my aura ring kind of right out of birth. Um, is it blood work? Is it, is it spit tests, poop tests? Like all my listeners have heard me talk about all this stuff before. How do you get to know the personal, your own DNA to make good decisions around optimizing yourself? Yeah. When I, I often think Tom about this hierarchy of flourishing, and say, okay, like if we define, because a lot of times when we say human performance, that starts to get into like, you know, are we talking about Tom Brady or, 
Diana Nyad, who, who swam across the ocean from Cuba to Florida. And these are extraordinary human endeavors. But at the end of the day, human flourishing is the ability to be present in the modern world. And I think every single one of your listeners, whether that's dealing with the portfolio work they have or just managing their families, grapples with presence and flourishing. And to me, I, I think the first thing that starts, it, it starts with understanding who we want to be in the world. And I know that sounds trite. Um, but amazingly, I think a lot of us don't sit down to, to be deliberate about writing that. And th- what I've learned is that oftentimes who we want to be, the, the core values don't necessarily change, but the, in seasons of life that evolves and being aware of that evolution of going from you know being single to married to being a parent, all of those things come with a different perspective on what flourishing means. But then secondarily is, okay, how do I actually schedule my time. And again, that sounds almost trivial, but I know a lot of the work, you know, someone I'm coming through one of your seminars and, you know, it's, it's understanding, like, how do I make time for the thing about the important levers in life that I need to pull? And so that then drops into the the third part that I would talk about, which is self-awareness and introspection. And that does get into what you just mentioned. That is understanding your body through the lens. I mean, what's amazing right now, you mentioned aura ring, these wearable sensors are now clinical grade technology 10 years ago that we have access to off the shelf. And they give us amazing insights about our sleeping patterns, our heart rate. Um, and that can initially feel daunting, but the beauty is you know, that passive level of data starts to allow us to correlate behaviors in our life with how we're sleeping, how we're feeling. Um, and then the next layer below that, you mentioned blood work. I do think that, that one of the biggest paradigm shifts we're seeing is that people now are recognizing that we are responsible for our own health. And so what that means is that we, again, can do blood work in a, in a fairly low-cost way that gives us amazing insights about the biomarkers in our body, whether it's vitamins, mineral content, toxins. Um, it allows us to understand what levers to pull around diet, hydration, that, that make us feel better. Because at the end of the day, I don't care what you're doing in the world, in real estate, in the military, in medicine, that part of flourishing is the ability to be present, which is the ability to focus and have the cognition and the cognitive capacity that we want um, when it counts. And when we're underslept or when we're suboptimally functioning in life, it's really hard to do that. So I sometimes think it's counterintuitive, but um, focusing on these very simple levers leads to profound evolutions in how we feel and show up in the world. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. With this, you're unpacking so many things. Yeah. This is, I'm, <laughs> I have like um, 800 more questions, but yeah, you go first. When you start working around leaders and decision makers, what are the key things that you look for in their business? Like, what are the clear signs that something's either working really well or something's off? If you could dive yeah, into that. Yeah, you know, I think I, like, I don't know that I'm um, an expert there. I, you know, one of the things in my work in arena in the, in the front lines of healthcare or, you know, my background in national security or having the, the good fortune of working with business leaders um, on one hand, there is, and, and I myself, you know, I really hope that I live through a humble lens in life. And so I, I think that the constant question is, what do I see other people are doing that works? And how do we think about like, not necessarily emulating somebody else, but what's the higher order principle there? And so I would say when, I, when I'm around leaders, um, particularly in business, I, I do think there is a striking difference to me between people who are present and feel like they have an ability to control their attention and their let's call you know their, their overall health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And if you think about people in your life, I always ask this question: Think of someone who's flourishing. And when you think about flourishing, it's 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 this th- those people strike you in life because they're a little bit different. 
And it comes down to a set of rituals and being intentional with time. Now, that's not necessarily a dichotomous with being a business leader. But I think then what I saw, certainly in the military and I see in healthcare, is as leaders, we can either be controlled by our organization or we can be in a place where no matter what's happening in the organization, we're grounded. And so the question is, well, how do we do that? And for me, that starts, I mean, Tom, you mentioned singularity earlier. Um, I've been involved with singularity, but I think the two concepts in the world that every leader has to first understand to then decide how they want to structure their time. One is the role of accelerating technology in our world. And so there is this concept of what's called Moore's law, but at a very basic level, it says that roughly every two years, technological capacity is doubling. And something that doubles every two years is growing on an exponential curve. And so I'm not a, a computer scientist or mathematician. But when you really sit down and think about how much our world is changing and how it feels faster and faster, that technological advancement is creating an insane amount of complexity in our world. And so leaders who understand that complexity and can keep their work simple and focused, I think that's a real superpower um, because it's, it's, I think all of us have a predisposition to say like, you know, just think of the world in the last six months, how much has changed. It's really hard not to want to change your entire business model. Right. So if I can ask though, going back to your time in the military and then lessons you've learned along the way, I've I've interviewed David Goggins on this show who talked a lot about, you know, similar, like how do you stay calm in the storm is what I want to get to, or, or even uh, Tim Grover, who maybe, you know, like the great, you know, trainer, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and so many others, I'll be with him in a couple of days. Um, He says that every high performing athlete, every person flourishing using your word is able to find that, that calm and focus in the moment that yep. so many others are just distracted by noise outside internal anxiety. So if there were like three or four things you would, you've learned along the way, or you would recommend, what would they yeah. be to just find that, that zone? Yeah, I, I think this is, I mean, this is really the essence of what we hope our platform arena strive does for frontline healthcare workers, because they're asking the same question. And to be very clear, I think any listener right now is, I suspect in some part of their life feels a degree of angst or anxiety around what's happening in the world, in their business, in their family. And that is increasingly a marker of life in the 21st century. And so I, again, I think the superpower in the work for all of us is figuring out what works for me versus you, Tom, or you, Ellie, and, and how do we then dig into that in a way that allows, because ultimately greatness is built on simple rituals reproduced day in and day out. And you talk about Michael Jordan, you know, you look at a guy like David Goggins, it is a routine built around the things that work for us. And so to be very specific for me, uh, right now, I have found one of our science advisors is Dr. Andrew Huberman, who's a neuroscientist at Stanford University. A lot of his work is in understanding stress in the human system and understanding how essentially what levers do we pull in life around sleep and behavior that manage stress and allow us to perform at our best. Uh, one of the big adaptations for me, and, and I think I think a lot of times these things are, it's almost funny how simple they are, but we've gotten away from core human behavior. So the first one is right. you get up in the morning, within 30 minutes of waking, get outside and get natural light. And there's a whole bunch of reasons that's profound, but natural light plays a role in setting our circadian rhythm for the day, which tells our body when we should fall asleep. And so if you get up and sit outside as soon as the sun's up and just take in that natural light, that is a, that's a massively important but simple routine that sets your body in alignment for the day. And similarly in the evening, if you can get outside and take a walk when the sun's setting, that's telling your body to start to wind down. The second is some, I would say, some sort of a practice for daily introspection. 
And the reason I'm a bit vague there, and I'm sure I'm, I, I suspect that the, the type of listeners here are people who are hungry to learn and evolve and have tried a lot of things. Yeah. I think for some people, that's meditation. For some people, that's prayer. For some people, it's journaling. But what is the thing you do for 30 minutes a day that takes you out of the noise and the demand and the movement? And so I, I, that, that is, I think, non-negotiable. And then the third one is, is definitely movement. And it doesn't mean you have to go do CrossFit or run marathons, but what do you do to move the body every day? Again, when you look at the literature and the, the world of science and flourishing, we know that biologically when we move our bodies and we get some sweat in, there's a whole bunch of neurobiological processes that make us feel better. And so think about that morning and evening light, some sort of, of practice of introspection. The third one, you know, how do you move and, and keep your body active? And then I think the fourth one, and again, just how do you make time for tribal connections? Like what is it you do to have connections in your life that make to keep you grounded in what matters? Um, and I, I think that's something I often overlook and the busyness of, of trying to build a business and everything else going on, intentional time to, so, to socialize and anchor. Um, I think in today's world is I think most people are connected through technical means and networks, but not through community. And, and I think that's a big one. Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work and the platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. All right, so 23 years old. Yeah. <laughs> get natural light, get your circadian rhythm going first thing, and then walk at sunset. Thank Some, God I have chinny because yes, I do that every day right she's now. Like, I got the dog, so yeah. it's automatic. Practice, some kind of practice, uh, getting some movement and making social connections. When you hear that at 23, what's going through your mind? It seems doable. Like, I don't think that that's far off of what a lot of people my age are doing because a lot of us just graduated. We're starting our first jobs. You have to get up earlier than you thought. So you're mm -hmm. waking up with the sun. You're getting home. You're tired from the day as opposed to, you know, say going out or doing something that you would do yeah. in college. Um, I think that a lot of people after college live together. So you get that kind of community. I know that living with my two best friends has been you know, a great source of that. And, um, you know, everybody should get a pet. So I think having the dog has helped me move and get the sunlight and all that stuff. But Love it. I think it's definitely doable and um, something that is good to focus on. I could definitely journal more or focus on <laughs> being introspective more. Um, but I think that comes with, you know, growing up and that comes with the territory of figuring out what works for me. We we hope so. Yeah. Not just for you. <laughs> yeah. We just hope so. And it's so interesting. Um, <clears throat> Brian, my first mentor, beyond beyond like my father and, you know, sort of his business friends was a guy named Brian Tracy. And his whole thing was, you need to write every day. Yeah. And it wasn't like write because you want to be a writer. It was like, you got to release every single day. Yeah. And and through that in a series of other practices, I got I got to the point where I could just write it out and release it and then set intentions. And whether it was a daytime or an afternoon, it didn't make a difference, but there was something about, okay, I made all these mistakes. I'm growing yeah. up in business and I'm saying all the wrong things and yeah. probably offended somebody and oh my goodness, and I didn't mean yeah. it, but I'm walking around with it in my head, let it go. And then <laughs> refocus on intentions. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So I think there's something to that. I think the faster all of us get to something like that or exactly what you're describing here. So, Brian, where do you see people messing up, though? And I, I don't mean messing up like they're doing something wrong, but you see them. I, I, I have a fourth book. It's actually sitting right there. The, all those pages together oh, yeah. unpublished. The book is called Plays That Work. And I am obsessed with people identifying there are plays that you run in your life that give you peace, joy, happiness, performance, you know, flourishing, yeah. all the words that all the words we all yeah. want. And then there's the dumb shit you keep doing for some reason <laughs> because you've always yeah, yeah. done it. Yeah. And it's like I'm just yeah. trying to get people to acknowledge that. So there's gotta be some plays that you've seen where you're like, hey, listen to me. You might want to avoid it's like my buddy says, there's gold under that rock. You might want to just pick it up. You're going to win over there. What have you seen that doesn't work? Well, I think actually the the precursor to that question is like, if someone feels like they're running plays that aren't working, uh, in my experience and what I've seen is, is the willingness to do the work around what are, where are those patterns coming from that are preventing you from doing the thing you say you want to do. Yeah. And I recognize that's a whole nother podcast and a whole right. nother <laughs> Right. Um, okay. Cancel all my all, afternoon podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we are all products of the environment we grew up in and our, yeah. our nuclear families. And so those things, the reality is like, I think maybe in, in recent time, we've, we've tried to discount that or not fully appreciate it. I think one of the, there, there are downsides to everything, but one of the upsides of a, of a, I think the way society is evolving now is people are more aware of those emotional landscapes. And so figuring out a way to do that work, and that can mean a lot of different things, but who are you working with that's helping you understand yourself and the patterns that, that the sort of mm-hmm. subtle code you're running on? That's profound. Um, and I've done a lot of different versions of that myself. Um, I think the second one is again, like what I see most people grappling with is being pulled by exogenous demand. So in our businesses, that's letting email and inbounds dictate our time. And I think in a world again, where there's more coming in, if that is your default mode, you're never going to be able to focus on the things you want. And so that then to flip that script is to say, how do you then be intentional about your time and be very intentional about the way your week is scheduled around the things that matter. And there's been a lot of people, right. certainly right. more learned than me, who've talked about that. But the last one is like, I think it's actually disconnecting as much as possible. Um, and I, I do think social media news, I mean, um, I, for four months now, have really quit reading news. It doesn't mean I don't consume information that is, you know, I read The Economist, I read things on my own time, but I've gotten away from the 24-hour news cycle because I just right. found that it was creating noise and anxiousness. And the same with social media. Yeah. That's why I recognize extreme, but I do think um, I had to look at what are the things that are distracting me and pulling my time in ways that, you know, I think for all of us, our, our time is our most valuable resource. Yeah. That was insightful. Yeah, Ellie, very he, much so. When he said hierarchy of flourishing, the first question he asked was, who do I want to be? Mm-hmm. That is something that one of my mentors, Brian, has told me, if I'm going back 30 years. Yeah, He's like, it's not about what you do. It's not about what you have. It's the being choices you make every single day. And if you can make the right being choice, the doing is aligned and more automatic and the the things, the have, mm-hmm. all that just sort of happens automatically. Yeah. How do you get to, and I'm, I'm asking a 23 year old and then yeah. I'm asking you, <laughs> how, how do you interpret that? Like who does Ellie need to be today at 23 versus 33 versus 53 to be flourishing in this world? I mean, it's like not that t- it's it's either tough or not, because if when I actually think about it, I'm like, oh, well, I'm happy right now. I like the people in my life. Mm-hmm. If I continue surrounding myself with people that make me feel good um, 
and you know, working here is amazing. I love my coworkers, like stuff like that. People who build me up, I feel like that'll continue to help me be on this track of like, I will be happy at 33 and 43, 53. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think like setting your mind to something like, remember I quit vaping and all that stuff. And Mm -hmm. it was like the hardest thing in the moment, but it was like, no, 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 this is like, part of my personality now. Like I don't do that. And so like creating those things where it becomes kind of an integral thing, like this is part of who Ellie is. That's kind of what I think, um, if I did, yeah, my identity, make it an identity thing instead of like, oh, this is something that I'm going to do. Like, and yeah, but other than that, I don't know. (laughs) I like it. All right. Brian, Brian, one could argue that this is one of the big life lessons. If you can decide who it is I want to be, or who am I at my best? Who am I being at my best? Have you found a a set of questions or a process for helping people unpack that? Um, I I do think, again, deeply personal, but I think what I have done, and I share with a lot of my friends and and the work that, that, that seems to work for me, is on one page, answering the question, who am I? Mm-hmm. And, and meaning like, where did I come from? What do I value in the world? And really, what am I in, in the arc of this life? What do I hope to do impact and who do I want to be? Yeah. Um, and interestingly, I think, Ellie, what you're bringing up is the work for all of us is like, and it's, it's awesome to hear you say at this season of life, you're, and you, I can hear it's authentic. You feel great about the way you're living. The reality is that any of us continuing to learn and grow, like you will grow out of some version of that identity. For yeah. sure. And that's I think, the hardest work in right. life. Is yeah. Like right. When we get to that point, the, the, our, our instinct is often to be comfortable or complacent. That, this yeah. for me has always been the biggest friction points in life. But when you push through that and grow, that's when we expand. But the ability to, you know, it doesn't mean we change our values or who we want to be. But I think that or keeping ourselves honest. And so for me, every year I have a, you know, a longer set of questions I ask Mm -hmm. and and a way to reflect on the year. But I start with revising that who I am every year. And it's just one or two sentences of what's changed. So it stays one page, but it's really like the kind of living memory of my life in, in terms of that question. Yeah. And and I, I kind of am experiencing that right now, because obviously when you graduate college and you enter, you know, the workforce for the first time and stuff like that, that's not just an internship or whatever, like I'm having growing pains, you know, in that sense too. And I think that it is important to kind of reflect on, okay, what was important to me last year? That's been like having to, you know, reevaluate what, um, you know, day to day I, I want to prioritize. Right. Well, and you're learning these different skills, which is that, that tension that, yeah. you know, I, I never pronounce it correctly, Brian. So help me out. Eustress. Like yeah, everyone, stress, know, yeah, everyone knows, everyone knows stress, stress but yeah. there's eustress, yeah. which is like positive stress. Oh yeah. Learning yeah. how to manage up, learning how to manage sideways to, you know, mm-hmm. communicate, managing up, communicating sideways, communicating down, like all of that is stressful. Those are new skills and it, there is a tension to it that's healthy. Yeah. So yeah, it's I'll, like I'll, hormesis is the process of growing through stress. And I think those are all really important concepts. Cause I think sometimes even this conversation about flourishing or performance can suggest that we shouldn't have stress, but in our work with frontline healthcare, like stress is at the core there. Mm-hmm. The difference is, you know, rather than feeling helpless, can I feel a sense of agency so that I'm actually able to impact that stress and know that it's helping me grow and evolve? hundred percent. So you mentioned when you're talking about frontline workers, uh, rest, recovery, and I think you said regenerate, but I may have missed one. Yeah, yeah, yep. And so, I mean, the three pillars of our platform are self-awareness and introspection. The second is stress adaptation and stress management. And then the third is rest and regeneration. 
I stay in the moment by taking notes. I may be one of the only podcasters that actually is like learning and listening simultaneously. And I've got three, four pages of notes already. So thank you. And I want to go back to something you mentioned in the very beginning when you're talking about the hierarchy of flourishing and the work that you're out there doing with these frontline, you know, nurses and doctors, et cetera. And you mentioned how to manage stress. You talked about like rest and recovery, um, I have a lot of friends that talk about that. I'd love to hear what are you and your company doing or what advice do you have for people that want to get better at that? I, I think that the start is, is being aware, being aware of, of stress and what it actually feels like. Um, and I know there, there's this, that, that sounds again, overly simple, but the, but a lot of these things come back to just listening to the body. There's a term we often refer to called interoception. Interoception is awareness of our internal landscape. That's emotionally, physically. When you are stressed, Tom, where do you feel that how? And and when you look at elite performers and people who are extraordinary, they have a a very high attunement to their body, not just in the physical, but in the emotional and the mental. And so that's a big part of our platform is being set up. We have a daily check-in on our platform which says, hey, how stressed are you? How are you feeling today? How stressed? Do you feel like you have the tools to manage that stress and how focused? And then what we do is say, you know, as an example, when you've had an extraordinarily tough day in the operating room and you're feeling stressed, let's experiment with the tools that allow your body to feel a moment of deactivation. And without going into a separate discussion, our bodies are generally operating either in the fight or flight state, our nervous system, which is turned on and activated, we're breathing faster, our eyes are dilated, or in that rest and digest state. Frontline healthcare workers, and I know a lot of listeners here in your podcast are people who by nature are moving fast and hard, and they are in that activated state of fight or flight. And so learning to deactivate the nervous system and move into rest and digest is much of the work for stress. Because it's not to say that you shouldn't feel stressed. It's what do you do to deactivate from that stress so that when the end of the day comes, your mind isn't racing and you can't fall asleep. Or when the weekend comes, you're not still stuck in what happened in the week prior. And that comes through a breathing practice, number one. One of the things that's taught on our platform is the physiological sigh. We call it the de-stress breath. Dr. Andrew Huberman teaches us. His laboratory at Stanford has done a lot of research. It's, this is going to sound, uh, we'll maybe leave your listeners with this. Um, I'll come back to the physiological sigh. Some people like the a box breathing practice. Mm-hmm. Some people like just taking moments of longer. So if you inhale through your nose, longer exhale through the mouth. If that exhale is longer than your inhale, that's telling the body to relax. It's called resonance frequency breathing. But back to the physiological side, it's one of the very simple things we teach. Um, The first three things, in fact, in our platform that we teach people, one is what we call cold, dark, and quiet. Learning to manage your sleep environment so that it's optimal, so that when you're ready to go to bed, your body's getting the rest it needs. And the reason that's important is that our, the deeper stages of our rest, our rapid eye movement sleep, correlate to our body's ability to move through the day's stress. So we're not sleeping enough. We're actually setting ourselves up to be predisposed to stress. The second thing we teach is hydration, which I know sounds like, hey, my mom told me to hydrate when I was a kid. Is that serious? There you go. <laughs> yep. Hydration is not about physical health. Well, it is, of course, but it's, it's equally imperative for cognition and making decisions, being focused as a leader. But the third thing we teach is the physiological side of the de-stress breath. And for your listeners, it's it's two inhales, the first one longer than the second one through the nose. So and a long exhale through the mouth. So double inhale through the nose with a long exhale through the mouth. 
if you have ever noticed, Ellie, if you notice your dog yeah. before your dog goes to take a nap, dogs often do this as a way to, you'll see the nervous system is relaxing. Yeah. Babies do it when they're crying. When you see a child really hysterical, they'll often like when they're hysterical, oh, yeah. like wail. It's the, it's the nervous system activating and trying to self-calm. And so that doing that throughout the day is telling our nervous system to just be relaxed. And so the physiological size is, a, is a, an immediate way to de-stress. Doing that when you're just driving in the car or between meetings regularly, it's deactivating throughout the day so that by the time you get to bed, you're not trying to reverse engineer an entire day's stress. And that's a very simple but profound practice that shows up then in our wearable sensors and biomarkers as lower heart rate, higher HRV. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it, love that's it. That's awesome. Ellie, I asked my last question. Do you got a final question for Brian? I don't. I think that, I don't know. I noticed your wrist. Are you wearing a whoop? I am. Yeah. We, oh, we actually cool. have a with whoop. So Aura, um, all of these are, are phenomenal. We, we, you, um, most of our clinicians wear whoop mm -hmm. because they can wear it on the bicep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when they're in the operating room, you know, often you probably know you have to, when you scrub into the operating room, you have to take anything below your elbows off. So yeah. whoop has been a that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I recognize that. I was like, cool. I tried to buy one of one of those during the pandemic and, uh, and couldn't, it was like just a forever back order. Oh yeah. Was People like, oh, were working on themselves. <laughs> exactly. Everybody was. Working, Tom, stick with it. You got your data. It's all good. Exactly. Well, Brian, first of all, thank you for your service. Yeah, thank, thank you, you just for being you. Thanks for uh, big shout out to Michael Davison for setting up this uh, this interview. Super insightful. Can't wait to meet you face to face, whether it's in Nashville or Dallas or Newport or sometime in the future. Uh, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way if they wanted to connect at the minimum? What's the website so they can go check out the company? Yeah, thank you. Uh, before I do that, I have to say, Tom Ellie, thanks very much. I, I do, I, as I on the front end, I was talking about consilience. I appreciate you and your listeners taking a risk on someone who is not in real estate to have a conversation. It's always fun for me. So I appreciate it deeply. Yes. Uh, awesome. Our arena labs.global. So arena labs, A R E N A L A B S dot global is our website. Um, and then the best place I'd actually send Instagram at arena labs, A R E N A L A B S is where people who want to follow what we're doing with clinicians. Um, and then I'm on LinkedIn, but otherwise I, I, I'm not as, uh, engaged on social media, as I said, by, by deliberate design. So yes. hello at arena labs. If anyone wants to go deeper, or if you're a listener and you've got a partner or someone in your family, you care about that's in healthcare and would be interested in this platform, we would love to talk to you. Yeah, I was exactly, awesome. I was thinking that because just yeah. like everybody knows a real estate agent, everybody knows somebody in healthcare, Fully. right? Some way, shape or form. Well, thank you so much. And for the person listening right now, we appreciate you. Make, make sure you always like subscribe to that notification button or wherever you're consuming this content. And Ellie, great job on your first show. <laughs> Thanks guys. It was very fun. Yep. Brian, we'll see you soon, my friend. Thank you so much. Bye, Brian. Thank you. Uh, appreciate the team. See y'all. Bye. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.